0: Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff podcast. Here's your host, Joe Vaclavic. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Grain Markets and Other Stuff. Thank you for joining me. It is Thursday, November 5th at uh, 12 p.m. Central Time. It's noon, and uh, we've got a higher trade in the grain markets, we've got a higher trade in a lot of markets. There's been a lot of activity this week. Uh, thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for watching. Remember, if you have not already subscribed to the podcast, Um, Go on the Apple Podcast app, the Google Podcast app, really any of them. And uh, uh, fine grain markets and other stuff. Hit that subscribe button. Also, make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube channel is uh, fairly new. It's only been around for a good six weeks now, but uh, picking up a little bit of, of traction. I've had a, a lot of activity on there. Everything that I do now is available on the uh, all the podcast apps and also on the YouTube channel. So if you'd rather watch this stuff than listen to it, uh, you can do it either way. It's it's the same content though. The uh, the one nice thing I've been able to do with the YouTube channels is show you some graphics and some charts and some stuff that I was not necessarily uh, able to do uh, just via audio, but uh, a lot of people are still listening to the podcast, and that continues to grow, and the uh, YouTube channel continues to grow, so thank you, and um, um, I'm only doing this. I'm only continuing to do this because there's interest in it, so uh, as, as long as there's interest, I suppose I'll continue to do it. Uh, we had the election this week, and I figured I would kind of spend a few minutes here and talk about... Um, some of the implications of the election, some of the activity in the markets um, following the election, not just in the grain markets, but in the outside markets as well. There's been a lot of movement um, in financial markets across the board. Everything from the currencies to the stock market to the grains to even the livestock, precious metals have seen um, a lot of volatility. I want to start off with the um, election results. And and of course, we don't really have results yet. We've we, pretty much know what what has happened here, but there's there's a lot of wild cards. We know that there's going to be lawsuits and recounts, and this thing may drag on for a little while. But as it stands right now, um, what I have up on the screen here are actually betting markets. And uh, the betting markets right now suggest that Joe Biden has an 87% chance of being the next president, Donald Trump has about a twelve percent chance. So I think that the general consensus right now is that Joe Biden's your president. And could that change? Could some of these recounts or um, or uh, lawsuits uh, result in in some sort of shift to the situation? That's possible. Uh, the way that it looks right now, it's probably not likely. Now, one of the things that is very important here is uh, the Senate, and in the Senate. There is a very strong likelihood that the uh, the Republicans, the GOP retains control. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal to the markets uh, for a number of reasons. Um, There's a lot of activity in the outside markets right now. I think that is actually um, being driven by the idea that we're going to have Joe Biden in the White House. We're going to, of course, have the House run by Democrats, but we will have a Senate that remains controlled by Republicans. And this has a lot of implications as a matter of fact, when you look at uh, some of the news today, um, here's here's the headline from Reuters. Wall Street rallies on prospect of divided U.S. Congress. And wh- why would the market rally on the prospect of a divided U.S. Congress? I-, I think the general idea here is that we're going to see a lot of gridlock. There's going to be a lot of things that perhaps the Biden administration would like to push through, um, you know, tax hikes, regulation, that sort of stuff. And he may not be able to get it pushed through or he may be able to get a watered down version of some of this stuff pushed through. And it's it's for that reason that um, a lot of the markets have actually acted really well. Um, the stock market, Bring up a chart here. This is the S and P 500, a daily chart of the S and P 500, which, as far as I'm concerned, is is the best benchmark of the uh, U.S. stock market. the The S and P 500 has rallied eight percent from the low that it posted on October 29th. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal move to the upside in a very short amount of time it almost kind of reminds me of what happened in 2016 you know in 2016 I think a lot of people um, especially when when Trump won uh, initially there was a lot of selling in stocks there was a lot of people that were fearful that um, you know Trump would be bad for the market or whatever and I think that 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 ended up being a bad decision obviously to sell stocks and I think just like 2016 what you saw in this election, you saw people sell stocks ahead of the election because they were worried about uncertainty or what might happen. And just as as it was in 2016, selling stocks ahead of the election uh, here in 2020 was also a terrible decision. Um, the stock market has done nothing but rip higher. It's going to have probably its best week in the S and P since uh, since April, since we had the big recovery out of out of the big COVID panic. So this has been a really phenomenal uh, deal for the stock market. I think part of this has to do with again, you go back to that prospect of, of the divided Congress. I think the market likes that. Um, I also think the market is a little bit more comfortable with uh, the prospect of additional stimulus, uh, quantitative easing, um, that sort of thing. And that takes me to the um, U.S. dollar. And when you look at the U.S. dollar, it's kind of interesting what's happened here. I mean, you can basically kind of parallel this thing with what's happened uh, in regard to the virus and in regard to stimulus. You saw your peak in the U.S. dollar here in 2020 back in March. And then when the virus panic ensued, the dollar really did nothing but leak lower all the way through August. We saw a bottom in August. And now we're again very soft here this week. The the U.S. dollar is down about a percentage and a half uh, this week as I speak here on Thursday at midday. And I think this is all based on the idea, the the initial sell-off and the decline that lasted from March through April, May, June, July, it all had to do with stimulus quantitative easing, money printing, if you want to call it that, um, uh, more U.S. dollars in supply makes the dollar weaker. And, that, and that's essentially what's going on here. And that's been a big positive for a lot of commodity markets, I think. I think that the soft dollar um, has been a positive for things like the grain markets, um, things like the precious metals, maybe even the livestock, maybe some of this other stuff. So the uh, the, the fact that the dollar is soft and uh, could very easily get into some fresh multi-month lows here, I, I, don't, I don't think they quite traded a multi-month low here uh, today, but it's very possible before. The end of the week, or maybe when you get into net next week, that we get into that situation. So the uh, the dollar, the the probability of additional stimulus. I think it's just a question of of when, not a question of if we see additional stimulus. Uh, this has been a driver for a lot of markets. Um, another thing that a lot of people talked about in in the dollar was that you know, buying into the the dollar or maybe putting some more money in cash ahead of the election was kind of like a safe haven asset. And now that safe haven is unwinding. Um, nobody needs the safe haven anymore. The stock market's going to the moon. I mean, that's the way it looks here today. At least it could all look different tomorrow, of course, but, um, uh, if, if this was being regarded as a safe haven asset, uh, people are, are exiting that safe haven trade, I think. Um, so, so when we talk about the grain markets, I, I talked about the outside markets. The stock market looks great. Uh, the dollar is soft. Uh, we're going to see some more stimulus, quantitative easing, that sort of thing. I, I have four things on my list here in regard to the grain markets that I think are important. Um, they're in no uh, particular order here, but um, I'm going to start off with the USDA report next week, and in next week's USDA report. The trade is is largely looking for some friendly numbers uh, relative to last month, especially on the uh, production side. What I've got on the screen here are the estimates for uh, the corn yield, the soybean yield, uh, corn production, and soybean production. Here's the corn yield number that's expected next week, 177.7. That would be a decline. From the 178.4 that we saw last month. So we're looking for a friendly number in corn on the production side. In beans, we're also looking for a friendly number. 51.6 bushels per acre is the uh, trade guess ahead of Tuesday's report that would be down from 51.9 last month. So just on the production side alone, uh, you've got the idea here on Thursday that USDA is going to give us something friendly on. uh, Tuesday next week. And I think that the markets, uh, being higher as they are, they're, they're in the process of pricing that in. When you look at, um, Ending stocks and what's being projected. Uh, we're looking for declines there as well. I'm just going to talk about the U.S. ending stocks, but here's the corn number that's expected 2.033 billion bushels. That would be down from uh, 2.167 last month. So we're looking for a, a fairly substantial decline in the projection for corn ending stocks. Uh, and this is for this new crop marketing year that began on September 1st. So we're talking about the projection for ending stocks as of September. Su- as of August 31st of next year. And soybeans, uh, they're expecting the U.S. carryout projection to fall down to 235 million bushels uh, from 290 last month. So I don't know that the numbers in themselves are, are like the biggest deal in the world. I think that the idea here generally, grander scheme of things, is that the market's looking for a friendly report next week. They're looking for USDA to confirm the idea that um, this situation in both corn and soybeans is actually even tighter than uh, what they told us last month. And I think that that's one out of the four drivers of prices here. Um, the second one I'm going to bring onto the screen here is uh, Brazil and South America. And the South American weather situation has garnered some attention. Um, what I have on the screen here is. Um, total expected rainfall for uh, uh, South America between now and the 10th, so the next five days. Uh, what I what I'm uh, circling here with my cursor are some key uh, Brazilian soybean growing areas, which are going to be dry here during the next five to seven days. There's going to be some rain to the north, but it's not going to hit a lot of your big areas. Argentina down here, I'm circling, uh, is is also going to be kind of on the dry side. So short term short term here, the next five to seven days, you're not going to see a whole lot in, in terms of precipitation. Um, when you go out to the extended model, this is the uh, forecast total expected precipitation between now and November 21st. You got a lot of rain in the forecast and uh forecasts of course are subject to change um i am not a weatherman um i actually kind of hate myself for even showing you these maps but this is what the markets looking at the, the markets looking at at a drier forecast up front and of course uh extended forecasts are always subject to change i think this may be getting a little bit too much attention here personally um, as far as like the bean markets rallying because of dryness in South America. Yeah, I get it. We've got a a dry forecast and we've had some dry conditions, but there, there is some rain in the extended forecast. When you look at what's going to happen here over the next two to three weeks, um, if these models are correct, uh, they really shouldn't have a a ton of, of issues here in terms of, of dryness. This should be, um, enough to get them by. Um every estimate that we've seen for uh South American soybean production has been record high recently and uh, some of the groups actually raised their estimates uh just here in this last week or so. So I would say that that is um maybe a friendly factor but if some of those rains hit in the extended forecast it's a factor that could go from from being friendly to to negative very very quickly you know these weather forecasts and and again i'm not a weather man i know how to read a weather map but i'm not a weather man i'm not a meteorologist but i i do know from watching weather and and how markets react to weather over the years that if these models that these models are always subject to change they can change they will change and when they do change uh the markets uh, will react to those changes uh, very, very quickly. The next thing, and, and I don't have a chart to show you on this, is exports. We had another really good week of export sales in both corn and soybeans. Even wheat sales were not bad this week. So demand is is still very much a key driver of of grain prices here. Um, the The fact that we keep doing this phenomenal export business in corn and soybeans, despite the fact that we've had a phenomenal rally in prices, Really says something, I think, about what sort of global demand is out there. We've got the best uh, soybean book on record in terms of export sales. I believe we've got the best corn book on sale on record in in regard to export sales. Uh, shipments are, are going to start to pick up here, so the uh, the demand, especially on the export front, is very good. When you look at domestic demand, um, domestic soybean demand is still fantastic. You know, uh, domestic processors or crushers make up about half of our demand for U.S. soybeans, and they're still Crushing beans at, at a very very strong pace here, so we don't have a problem there. When you look at corn, ethanol is still problematic. Um, I could actually show the uh, the ethanol chart on my screen here, um, but ethanol production is is still a problem. I think in in some regard, um, you look at production here. This is weekly ethanol production. We had a big dip. Um, you know, of course, back in would have been. April And then we started to recover in in May, but we're still running ethanol production at a pace that's, you know, five or 6% below last year. And this is all because of COVID. So I, I would make the argument that COVID continues to result in demand loss for corn every single week. Every single week, we're running below last year, we're running below the year before, and we're running below the year before that by five or six percent on average. So this ethanol thing for corn is still a problem. I think feed demand's pretty good based on what I know, but the the thing about feed demand is that we don't get a weekly report like we do in exports or in uh, ethanol, so it is a little bit trickier to gauge. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is drought, and we have a drought in the United States. Um, Maybe it hasn't garnered as much attention as previous droughts, um, maybe because of the areas that it's affecting or the time of year. But we do have a drought in the United States, and uh, it's mostly confined to the western half of the United States. There are some areas of the east that have become abnormally dry. But in regard to the winter wheat market in particular, um, the HRW wheat crop in particular, some of these HRW wheat areas in uh, western Oklahoma, Texas Panhandle, uh, Kansas, Colorado, Nebraska are exceptionally dry. There was some relief here as of late. Uh, they caught some rain and some snow, but there's really not much in the forecast uh, as we move forward here. So I think that that continues to be a supportive factor for the uh, wheat market in particular, and not just the Kansas City wheat market, but uh, the entire complex has been supported by that. And we've had some elevated uh, global wheat prices as well, which have certainly not helped matters. Um so th- those were kind of kind of my four my four items. You know, why are the grain markets rallying? I g- I gave you four uh I think pretty good reasons right there. Uh, The last thing that I wanted to touch on was fund length in the market, and I know that I did do a uh, review of the fund positions here uh, recently, but I'm going to run through this one more time here as long as I've got my charts up. Start off with SRW Wheat. Funds estimated to be net long, 38,000 contracts of SRW Wheat at yesterday's close. That's a pretty hefty long position um, relative to anything we've seen historically. The record long for reference was about 74,000 from August of 2012, but it's a pretty rare occasion that. The funds get long 30, 40, 50,000 contracts of SRW wheat. So you've got some heavy length there. You go to the soybeans, uh, funds estimated to be net long 213,000 contracts of beans at yesterday's close. That's a number that will grow after today, assuming that we finish higher, uh, that historically you can see is a level that, um, uh, We've only been at at one other time, Uh, 2011, 2012, funds had a bigger net long in the soybean market than this, and uh, then that brings us to 2020, which uh, is where we're at right now. So this is an extreme long position in the soybean market, and the funds have been long beans for a long time. The last time the funds were short beans was in April. They've been long beans- uh, through late spring, all through the summer, and uh, into the fall now, so it's it's been a, a long, extended stretch, and that's something you'll see in demand-driven markets uh, more than you'll see in supply-driven markets. Demand-driven markets typically have a little bit more staying power. When you look at corn funds are estimated to be net long 228,000 contracts at yesterday's close. That's a very hefty net long position relative to what we've seen the last 5 years. It's it's not super extreme when you compare it to say 2012 when the funds were long 410,000 contracts at one point, but I I would call this a, a fairly extreme net long position uh, relative to the last 5 years. Uh we're just we're not in that that uh, late two th- late 2000s into, you know, the, the 2010, 2012 timeframe anymore. So I'd consider that pretty extreme. When you go across the complex here, this is, uh, uh, corn plus soybeans plus SRW wheat, uh, 479,000 contracts, uh, net long was the estimate at yesterday's close. That's extreme. It's only happened on a handful of occasions. So the fund's still, uh, holding some pretty extreme length across the markets. And as I've discussed at length in the past, uh, With this fund length comes a lot of risk. If something changes, whether it's rain in Brazil or a bearish USDA report or something out of the blue politically or whatever, there's always the risk of liquidation. I hope this was a useful uh, little run through of what's happened here over the last couple of days and the situation in in not only the grain markets, but the outside markets. Um, If you need some more information from me, uh, you can drop a question in the uh, YouTube comments. I'd be happy to answer it for you. Um, You can send me an email. My email address is info at standardgrain.com. I will get back to you. I'll reply to you. I'll answer your questions. And remember, of course, as always, if you do need some help with your grain marketing, go to my website. It's standardgrain.com. Click on grain marketing plan. Take a Serious look at that subscription service. It's $49 a month. You can cancel it at absolutely any time. There's no obligation. There are no other fees involved. You don't need to have a futures and options trading account. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to send you an email every morning, every business day at six 30 central time. And I'm going to send you text messages, uh, when I'm marketing grain. And that's it. You can follow along. You can follow the recommendations if you want to. If you don't want to, you'll know what I'm doing and it'll cost you 49 bucks a month. Cancel that deal at any time. Everyone have a uh, great day today. I will be back tomorrow morning. Uh, We'll see you later.